Welcome, welcome once again, everyone. We're back again tonight, and we are going to be reading from Exodus chapter 35 and uh, talking about more of the construction of the tabernacle. And we're going to start out with the Sabbath regulations. And I do have to say, I just a little bit of um, my own my own observations on what's going on in the world today. I have been keeping up with uh, what's going on in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, and uh, some of the things that has been said in the media. Actually, not some of the things. A lot of what's been said in the media, and even by the Prime Minister of Canada himself, is just being utter, outright. There's no other word for it. Lies. <laughs> Just no other word for it. Absolute lies. Now, I've, I have not been there myself, so I can't speak uh, personally. I know Psalm 94 was there, but um, I, I watched a lot of live streams. I watched a lot of videos. I went to a lot of websites. I'm trying to get a good feel of what's going on and what this is all about and everybody's position on, on all these different matters. And it's, it's just absolutely amazing how many how much quote unquote misinformation is being peddled out there by the mainstream media and by the prime minister of Canada himself. It's just absolutely outrageous, absolutely outrageous, completely contrary to the, to reality from what I see, completely diametrically opposed to the truth. And, um, it's just very, very sad to see all this stuff going on. But I mean, it's very good that um, a lot of things are uh, happening that's actually very good. You know, people who are resisting uh, this nonsense that's going on, for lack of a better term. And so, yeah, it's just amazing what's happening in the world. So, we, again, we got to continue to pray. We got to continue to, uh, uh, you know, to to pray that God God's will be done that freedom reigns if no if for no other reason but freedom to do God's will because the way it's going you know and we it's it, some of the laws and some of the, some of the um uh, progressions in the west are totally against God against his word against his law uh so we just got to keep that in prayer and pray, and pray that the salt uh, that we do have people that are out there that are salting society. Amen. So um, Eric says, Shalom and good evening, all. Good evening, Eric. Shalom. Vinny says on YouTube, Shalom, everyone. Hope you all are well. I'm doing good myself, Vinny. Good to see you guys. As always, for those of you who are on TikTok, Uh, thank you very much for the likes and welcome to those of you who are joining on TikTok. And by the way, as it always says here, I keep on getting these notifications, but for the, for on every platform, it doesn't matter where you're listening to this. If you like what we're doing, if you like meeting together like this, fellowshipping, talking about current events, and most, more importantly, most importantly, getting into the scriptures, digging out more truth, seeking God, you know, together in prayer and in reading the scriptures. If you like this stuff, don't forget to uh, to like to like it. One John two twenty six on YouTube says the mainstream media is not only is not is also not telling the truth about the upcoming war, uh, which is soon. I advise everyone to get uh, extra food, water. It is close. 
Um, Psalm 94 says, don't believe anything you hear on fake news, uh, which, which is most of, most of the news channels being at various events like this. I can testify, uh, to their lies that they, uh, that they put out. Yes. Let me tell you a little story. I'll tell you a little story. This is a true story. Just before we get into reading the scriptures, this is a true story. Um, I was, how am I going to, in, in, uh, there's a local newspaper. Okay. And for, for decades, every time there was something happening or anytime I was doing something or there's something else happening, uh, I would call the local newspaper and talk to this, this, this particular reporter. And this reporter would come out and talk to me or other people about what's going on and report about it. When there, there was this one time um, when there was this preacher who, who came, uh, and this preacher was a preacher who actually is a really good preacher, all things considered. I mean, he preaches against uh, the sins of, of society. He preaches righteousness and, and truth and love. It's, it's, it's a wonderful preacher. And I was there for the for the media interview. Okay, it was just me and this preacher and this reporter. Again, this reporter, I got somewhat of a relationship with this reporter because this reporter came out on multiple other occasions when I contacted this reporter, and um, and this reporter would always come out and do the interview and then go back and pu- and publish it in the paper. Well, anyway, uh, so this this reporter was interviewing this preacher. I was there. I mean, this is firsthand witness. I was there. And so the reporter would say, Oh, what do you like? What are you doing? Oh, you came all the way up from, uh, from, from this particular, you know, country or this particular state. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. She, and she's got a pen and she's writing everything down. Right. And it's like, um, Asked him, okay, so like, what are you doing up here? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to preach at this location. Oh, awesome. Writes it down. I'm going to preach in, in that location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to preach over, I'm going to preach over here. Okay. What? Oh, awesome. Awesome. You're going to preach at this church. Yeah. I'm going to preach at this church. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm also going to preach at, and for, <laughs> because of certain platforms that I'm streaming on right now, I'm not going to say exactly what event that this preacher was going to preach at, but it was one of many different events. Okay. This particular event was preaching to a particular community. And as soon as that preacher mentioned that he's going to go preach to this community, the pen stopped writing. Like, visibly, it's like, froze. The the reporter froze. And I'll never forget it. I looked over to to that preacher, and he looked over at me, and he kind of just like, he's like, he didn't say it, but you can see it in his eyes. He's like, I know what's going on here. And I'm like looking back at him and I'm saying the same thing subliminally. If you want, I'm saying, yeah, I see what I see. You see what I see. I see what you see. Utter censorship, utter censorship. Anyway, so this reporter, you know, kind of just butters over everything and just closes everything, goes back and later on contact, later on says that they cannot put that article in the paper because there's just no room. And I thought to myself, okay, out of all the times I have been with this reporter, 
Out of all the things that this reporter came to interview and, and report on, never was there ever a case where this reporter would say um, that they can't publish a, they can't do they can't publish a certain article a report except for that one case because there was a certain there are certain people that you just cannot criticize. And it's just, it's, it's a very sad situation. It's a very sad situation that we're facing in the West. And I do blame, I do blame the church for it because the church is so pathetically weak, so pathetically weak. The salt, as I'm pretty sure some of you at least saw the video that I posted there the other day about the salt has lost her saltiness and, and truly she has lost her saltiness. At least the, generally speaking, the organized religion part of Christianity lost her saltiness completely. It's all in the name of love, but it's not really love. Because every time I have, con I have been in contact with or have had a dialogue with any Christian or church leader or pastor who claims to be all about the unconditional love and acceptance of God, they are the ones who are the first ones to, to, uh, to reject you, to unfriend you, to ignore you, and to, re in, in, you know, just to walk away from you. That's the truth. Because their so-called love in the churches is not love. It's only love to them, it's only love if you if you if you think the way they think. But as soon as you don't think the way they think, then they'll they'll show you the love. They'll show you the unconditional love and acceptance of God. All right. Yeah, right out the door. They will. Right out the door. And that's the truth. Caballero says, hello, everyone. Hello, Caballero. Eric and Byron, good to see you, Byron. Uh, Shalom, friend, says Byron. Many says to one John, very good advice. All right, so let's get, <clears throat> excuse me, let's get into Exodus chapter 35. And we're going to start with the Sabbath regulations. Yeah, so it is a very, it is a very bad state that a lot of people are in uh, today. You know, again, it's, it's a church is the number one thing. I mean, the media is the worst is uh, they don't report. You can't really believe anything you hear in the, in the news anymore, unless it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to find news that is true anymore. Hard to find news that is true. Calamentos says, Shalom all, Shalom Calamentos. Good to see you. Yeah. All right. I was going to talk a little bit more about media, but um, let's not harp on it too much. Ex Exodus chapter 35, Sabbath regulations. Sabbath regulations. Verse 1, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it, 
shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Uh, let's just let's talk about this a little bit here before we go on, because this is something that, especially in the Jewish circles, is uh, spoken of quite a bit. Uh, the whole idea of not kindle, kindling a fire on the Sabbath day. And so some people take it to the extreme. Some people don't take it at all. Um, I mean, some people say don't, don't even turn a light on and don't have your heat on because you're kindling a fire. Therefore, that is breaking the Sabbath. I do not believe that is what God is saying here. I mean, People who live in the in in different parts of the uh, you know of the earth that is very very cold. It's just absolutely unreasonable, ridiculous to say not to have a fire on. At least not to you know not to have your furnace on um, when it's super cold out. I mean, again, the the concept the concept of Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I think applies here. I mean, God would certainly not want you to freeze to death, freeze to death just because you're trying to obey the Sabbath. That just doesn't make sense. Now, again, back in the in the day, culturally speaking, like in the cultural uh, context of the writing of this, what did they do in order to kindle a fire? Like, what did that what did that entail? What did that look like? You know, perhaps they had to do it from scratch, like, you know, like, like sticks, you know, <laughs> sticks, uh, rubbing sticks. Perhaps it was a lot of work to kindle a fire. And again, in the context here, it says you shall not kindle a fire throughout your dwellings on Sabbath day. It doesn't say you shall, you shall not keep it burning. You shall not kindle it. So, Again, in, in the context, the cultural context here, I do believe it's talking about actual work, like something that is, it, it, it takes a lot of work to do, as opposed to just like flipping a light switch on, because some people believe this as well. Some people believe that you're not even supposed to have lights on, because that is a form of a fire, quote unquote fire. Uh, and and I, again, this is, I think it's, I think that's a little bit too far. It's going too far. Uh, so let's not take it to the extreme. Let's let's take Yeshua's advice here that Sabbath is made for man. Okay. It is supposed to be a blessing for man, not for man to sit in the cold, dark, darkness, you know, <laughs> freezing to death because you're trying to obey the Sabbath. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Uh I think it's I think uh even just going to the stove and, you know, nowadays, all you got to do is just do a little, you know, and, and you got a fire on the stove or you, or you can turn, you know, an, an element on very easily. So I personally don't think that that, that really applies this really applies to that. People do have different opinions now. Like I'm just saying, uh, People do have varying opinions on this, so that's very, very important. Let me see what we have here on the um, the chat before we go on here. Byron says, so no lighting of candles on the Sabbath. Yeah, well, you know, uh, having a little lighter and, you know, clicking a little lighter, flicking a little lighter, I think is 
I don't think that that's really what this is talking about. Uh, I think this is actually talking about actually like starting a fire from scratch, like the old fashioned way, the real old fashioned way. Get yourself some dry sticks and cut a little notch in it and just start going at it, you know, until you get a fire with some, you know, kindling some grass or whatever it is, you know. Uh, so in the Jewish world, they do light candles on the sa- the eve of the Sabbath. Now, I'm not sure what what time they would light candles. Maybe they light it like before this, before sundown. I'm not sure all, all of those rules and, and practices and traditions that they use, but they do burn candles on the Sabbath. That's one of the traditions in the Jewish world. Very good question, Byron. Eric says it took work. Yes. And you watch some of these uh, videos of people trying to start a fire from scratch, you know, again, no lighters, no matches, nothing, just, just dry wood and, you know, have at it. You know, uh, it, is, it looks like a lot of work. It does look like uh, work for sure. Abril says, I do believe it's actual work. I do believe it's actual work, like cooking five courses of meal. Yes. Vinny says, we do candle lighting to usher in every Sabbath just before sundown we love it awesome 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 there we are there see that's that is the the, the traditional way of uh, uh that the jews do it and it, it it's an amazing it's an amazing tradition for sure so yeah we just got to make sure i think it's very important not to make it a burden remember in the book of isaiah it says that the sabbath should be a delight you know that and god takes offense when we do not delight in the Sabbath. And I think that's one of the things too that that Yeshua had against some of the religious people in his day. They were making it like, because you see people have this innate, well, not everybody, but I mean, some people, they have this innate sense of they have to lord it over somebody. Like they have to, they have to throw their weight around. Like they have to show people, look at how, you know, I'm just going to throw extra laws. I'm going to make it extra hard for you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to add to the law. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be extra strict because I just want you to, you know, see how powerful I am or whatever the case is, you know, ego trip. And I think that that's wrong. I think we should always stay humble and we should always serve the people, not make the people serve us in that sense. And that's the problem with, with a lot of these rules that have been added. And that's the problem that Yeshua had with a lot of people back in his day. You know, they were just lording it over the people. And uh, making the Sabbath a burden instead of a delight. Moving on with Exodus chapter 35, verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of willful heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, purple, excuse me, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. 
Now, remember, all of these gifts and offerings were used in the building of the temple, and they got a lot of this stuff from Egypt, uh, probably if not all of it from Egypt. Um, Psalm 94 on YouTube says, uh, candles are lit usually about 20 or 30 minutes before sunset. Thank you. 1, 1 John 2.26, according to, uh, to Chabad.org, uh, you are supposed to light the candles 20 minutes before sundown. Yeah. Jeff says, Shalom family. And Abril says, Shalom Jeff. Yes, welcome Jeff, as always. Good to see you. Shalom. Vinny says, I actually use the Chabad candle lighting times for Sydney. Awesome. Awesome. That's amazing. All right, let's continue here with Exodus chapter 34, excuse me, 35, verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its, off, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering. The table and its poles all the utens all its utensils and and the showbread also the lamp for the for the light its utensils its lamps and the oil for the light the the incense altar its poles the anointing oil the sweet incense and the screen for the door of the entrance of the of the tabernacle the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, and, uh, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. As I'm reading this, I'm just want to. I'm just thinking, you know, they two things here. Number one, it's like you see how they called everyone with with talent to use that for the Lord, and you know that's one thing. You know, as believers, we should we should be focused on is using our talents to work for the Lord, to do His will, you know, to help out using our talents. To get the word out, to get the word of God out, and to and to, and to preach the truth, to minister and serve God and to serve others. And number two, in, one thing I I was thinking here is all of these articles, all of these things that they that they had. You know, the ram skins dyed red, and the you know the gold and the silver and all these other things. I wouldn't doubt. That a lot of these things are still around today somewhere. The altar of incense, um, you know, uh, the showbread, the the table of showbread, the menorah. I wouldn't doubt they're still around somewhere, uh, even if they are hidden in someone's home, as it were. I'm telling you, like. I think that if 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 you had like one of the poles of the altar of incense, I don't know. I think a lot of people just wouldn't say a whole lot about. I don't. I don't think that. I think a lot of people, if they had something of of great value like that, like 
a, a, a relic, like an ancient biblical relic, I think at least some people would want to hide it and not tell anybody about it. It's like, don't tell anybody. Look, you know what I got? You know, I got this. I don't want anybody to know because if they knew, then, you know, I would have the whole world at my door. I wouldn't doubt there are people like that around that have passed down these relics from generation to generation to generation. It's just a family secret. And I just wouldn't doubt it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying for sure that's the case, but it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. It wouldn't surprise me. Because a lot of people, they don't want to show off what they have because people would want to take it from them. If people didn't, the government would, you know? Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone whose heart was stirred, in the footnotes, lifted him up. Everyone whose heart lifted him up, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meaning for all its service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all the all jewelry of gold, that is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord and every man with whom was found blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze before, or excuse me, brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun, spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the, and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him, again, filled him with the Spirit of God. Here we are again, where it says, in the so-called Old Testament, that someone was filled with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and understanding in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach. And him and Ohaliab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker 
in blue and purple and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those whose design, who design artistic works. Exodus chapter 36. And Bezalel and Ohaliab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Ohaliam, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred. Again, I would, I would think that would be had lifted up. Yep, lifted him up is what it says in the footnotes. So everyone whose heart lifted him up to come and, and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With with artistic designs of cherubim, they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain was four cubits. And uh, the curtains were all the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the salvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the other edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops he made on one curtain, and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain together. He made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasps that it might be one tabernacle. He made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The, uh, The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze clasps to couple the, the tent together that it might be one. Then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. For the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits. And we're talking about cubits so much. Keep in mind that a cubit is 18 inches or a foot and a half approximately. 
So the length of each board being 10 cubits would be like 15 feet. And the width of each board, a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons. Tenons, in the footnote, says projections for joining. Literally, hands. So each board had two tenons for binding one to the to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20, the 20 boards. Two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenants. And for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20, 20 boards and there 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards. He also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And they, and they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus he made both of them for the two corners. So there were eight boards and their sockets, 16 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. And he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle on the far side westward. And he made the middle bar to pass through the, bo the boards from one end to another. He overlaid the boards with gold, made their rings of gold to be holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. And he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. He made for it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver and its five pillars with, with their hooks. And he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. Exodus chapter 37. This is the making of the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, as it says here. Then Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold all around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners, two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half was its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the ends of the mercy seat. One cherub at one end on this side and the other cherub at the other end on that side. He made the cherub cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another 
their faces, the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. The making of the so the table for showbread. He made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold and made molding of gold all around it. Also, he made a frame, a handbreadth all around it, and made a molding of gold for the frame all around it. And he cast for four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that were, on, that were at its four legs. The rings were close to the frame as holders for the poles to, the bear, to bear the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made of pure gold the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. Of hammered work he made the lampstand, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. And six branches came out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. There were three bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out, and so excuse me, and so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Again, it, an almond blossom looks like this. Okay, so this is an almond blossom. Uh, let me just see here. Almond blossoms. So if you can imagine almond blossoms like that. All right. Back to Exodus chapter 37, verse 20. And on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. Under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches extending from it. Their knobs and their branches were of one piece. All of it was of was one hammered piece of pure gold. And he and he made its seven lamps, its wick trimmers, and its trays of pure gold, of a talent of pure gold he made it with all its utensils very very interesting a talent depending on what source you read a talent for those of you who are not familiar with this a talent is a is a unit of weight it's a measurement of weight like um similar to how we say like a ton or like a pound or you know that kind of thing but a talent depending on the source you read can range anywhere from like 75 pounds to like 100 pounds. Some people believe it was more like 75. Other people believe it was more like 100 pounds. But regardless, even if it was only 75 pounds, 75 pounds of pure gold made of one piece. And the lampstand, say, why would it have seven lamps on the lampstand? Well, the 
The seven, la- seven lamps, the, the number seven in the scriptures is a number of completeness. Like to- it's a number of perfection, a number of perfection, like an all encompassing number. So the, the seven lamps, the seven lamps on the lampstand would signify like perfect light an all inclusive, all encompassing light. And that's what it would stand for. Now, don't forget also in the book of Revelation, we have the uh, the lampstand also stands for uh, a church as well, or an assembly, congregation. You could also even probably say synagogue because it all means the same thing, okay? Uh, it's just that in the New Testament, they translate it as church, but it, it means the same thing. Congregation, assembly, meeting, um, even synagogue for that matter. Uh, so that's what it, the lampstand stands for. Mark on YouTube says, Shalom, Shalom, Mark. Welcome. Good to see, good to see you. All right. So let's go on here. This is Exodus chapter 37, verse 25. He made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with pure gold. Its top, its sides all around and its horns. He was. Uh, he also made for it a molding of, of gold all around it. He, uh, he made two rings of gold for it under its molding by its two corners on both on both uh, excuse me on both sides as holders for the poles with which to bear it and he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold so we have the tabernacle so far it's like three different Layers, as you would, three different stages. There's the outer, the, the the outer court, as it were, and in the outer court we have like the wash basin, and we have the we have the altar that was the the um, the animals uh, were offered on the altar. Now, in the inner parts, we have what they call the holy place, and in within the holy place, we have the holiest the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place, depending on what um, translation you read. Gold stands for purity. Gold stands for holiness. Now, bronze, on the other side, on the other hand, I should say, stands for more like, it's it's more like a common earthly kind of thing. Almost, if, you could, if I could almost say it's like a sinful thing. Bronze would be like, more like the sinful thing and gold would be more like the holy thing so on in the outer court there was the bronze altar the bronze basin and so this is where basically the sins were cleansed okay once they were cleansed you go into the holy place where the gold is don't forget also in the wilderness we'll read it later on where moses lifted up the pole with the bronze serpent on it excuse me the bronze serpent Again, bronze representing sin, or like common earthly, not not heavenly. Put it that way. Not not heavenly. Not pure. You know, hence the serpent as well, right? The bronze serpent. Not wasn't a gold serpent. 
No way. You would not see a gold serpent, bronze serpent. Exodus chapter 37, verse 29. He also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the, of the perfumer. And again, this is all... I mean, this is all literal in 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 that sense, and it was back in those days. But it is also symbolic, and it can be symbolic for us too. You know, the holy anointing oil, as commonly believed in the charismatic circles, being like the the anointing of the spirit. Uh, the pure incense uh, is represent representing uh, prayer. Incense is uh, a symbol of prayer, a picture of prayer. We read about that in Revelation. It says it very clear that the prayer, the incense, incense is the prayer of the saints, okay? Saints meaning those who are truly saved. I mean, if you're truly saved, if you're, if you're truly saved, you are a saint, quote-unquote saint. There's no such thing, there's no such thing. Uh, <laughs> I almost cringe when I hear this phrase because it's one of these cliches that it's just one of these Christian. It's a very, very poor Christian cliche. That's sinners saved by grace. There's no such thing. It's either you're a sinner or a saint. Paul never wrote his letters to the sinners. It says he wrote his letters to the saints. You can say you are, you are an ex-sinner that, that was saved by grace. Okay, that makes sense. But not a sinner saved by grace. Because if you are a sinner, you need to get saved. If you're a sinner, you need the grace of God to give you the power to repent and thus be a saint and be saved. Sinner saved by grace is an oxymoron. It's just an oxymoron. And really, it's just it's a it's a phrase that is that was concocted by a, a sinner who just Resign, resign, uh, resign him or herself to sin, and just threw in the towel. It's like, oh, I'm a sinner. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm a sinner. Uh, well, according to the scriptures, sinners don't make it. Right? It's it, the people who are literally that are really saved by grace are the ones who make it. Those who receive the power to repent and thus the forgiveness and mercy of God because of that repentance. Exodus chapter 38, verse 1. He made the altar of burnt offering of, of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits its width. Again, five cubits uh, would be seven, seven by seven feet. Seven and a half. Seven and a half, excuse me. As a cubit is one and a half feet. It was square and its height was three cubits. He made its horns and its four corners, or excuse me, he made its horns on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. Okay, bronze. And you notice too, let me just, before I get too far as, uh, with this as well, notice that he started with the inside, right? They started, they started with the holy place, the holy of holies, and then they worked through it. And that's what God, I mean, that, that shows you what God's, uh, God is focused on your inner word, your inner 
man, so to speak, your inward parts, your heart, your, your soul, your spirit. That's what God is focused on. So you, you start there and then you work out. You know, you can be saved. You can be holy on the inside. And it might take a little bit of time to kind of work that through to the outside, if you know what I mean. Sometimes we got some things we need to kind of shake off, right? We got some dirt sometimes we need to wa- wa- wash off, so to speak, on the outside. We're on the inside and we're, we're very, very clean. So anyway, as, the, as they construct the tabernacle here, you see they're working their way out from the inner, from the, from the core. They're working their way out. Exodus 38, verse 3, he made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. All its utensils he made of bronze. And he made a grate of bronze, bronze network for the altar, under its rim, midway from the bottom. He cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood. And he overlaid them with bronze and he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards, making the bronze laver. He made the the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Isn't that something? So these ladies gave their mirrors. Can you imagine a lady giving up her mirror? A la- lady's giving up their mirrors to make the laver of bronze. Hmm. Making the court of the tabernacle. Verse 9. Then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side, the hangings were uh, 100 cubits long uh, with 20 pillars and and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And on the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of of the gate were 50 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of of the court gate. On this side and that were hangings of 50 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were of fine woven linen. The sockets for the pillars, the hooks of the pillars, and their bands were silver. And the overlay of their capitals was silver. And all the pillars of the court had bands of silver. The screen for the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. The length was cubits and the height along with its width was five cubits corresponding to the hangings of the court and there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze their hooks were silver and their way of their capitals and their bands was silver all the pegs of the tabernacle 
and of the court all around were bronze. Materials of the tabernacle. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Azalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Ohaliab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. All all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering, was 29 talents. Wow, can you imagine again? Can you imagine if a talent, if a talent is like near or like around 100 pounds, it's like 2,900 pounds. That's amazing. Or even if it's like 2,000 pounds, 2,500 pounds, that's still amazing. And 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A baker for each man, that is half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. From the from the hundred talents of silver were cast the, the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. One hundred sockets from the, from the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals, and made, made bands for them. The offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the door, tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils of the alt- for the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for the, for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, and all the pegs for the court all around. Exodus chapter 39. Making of making the garments of the priesthood of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry, ministering in the holy place, and make and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Making the ephod, he made the ephod of gold, purple, excuse me, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, and they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it together, which was coupled together at its two edges. And and the intricately woven band for, for his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones, enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved, as signets are engraved, with the names of the sons of Israel, 
He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses, making the breastplate. He made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length and a span its width when doubled. By the way, a span is the is the width of your hand when you from thumb to uh, from the end of your thumb to the end of your pinky finger, your your little finger. Okay, that's a span. That's how big the the uh, the, the uh, ephod, the breastplate was. Okay, the breastplate was a span by a span. Verse ten. And they set it in four rows of stones. I said that again. And they set in it four rows of stones. A row with a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald was the first row. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. There were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names, engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the 12 tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends like like braided cords of pure gold. They also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings ends of the breastplate the two ends of the two braided chains they fastened in the two settings and they put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in in the front and they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it which was on the inward side of the ephod they made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod toward its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod, and that the breastplate would not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. Making making the other priestly garments. Verse 22. He made the robe of the, of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, opening in, the, in a coat of mail, with a winding all around the opening so that, that it would not tear. They made a hem... They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates, blue, purple, and scarlet, and of fine woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, all around the robe to minister in. Lord commanded Moses. Now in the footnote, instead of saying to to minister in, it is to serve in, to serve 
Verse 27, they made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holiness to the Lord. And they tied to it a blue cord to fasten it above the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. The work completed. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tents finished. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the covering of ram skins dyed red, the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy, the table, all its utensils, and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamp set in order, all its utensils, and the oil for light, the gold altar, the oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords, its eggs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they had done it, and Moses blessed them. Exodus chapter 40, the tabernacle erected and arranged. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the, of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You put, it, put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the, the ark with a veil. Again, notice how they start with the most, the most inward parts. Uh, and, uh, in the footnotes, it says the screen, um, the partition, you should screen off, screen off the ark with a veil. You, you shall bring in the, in the, in the, excuse me, in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand with its, and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall set the laver between the tabernacle of, the, of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up 
the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that's in it. And you shall hollow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. Again, notice, notice this. This is a very, very important thing. Notice how not only did, like, remember we read earlier how they had to atone. They had to make atonement for the furnishings of the tabernacle. So atonement is not only to be made for the people, but for things too. Things. And here we have anointing oil that it's not just to anoint the people not just to anoint the priests uh, in in the in the uh, the other people who are working in in the tabernacle or the people who are working in the service of the lord but also the things and it's very important to understand that that even inanimate objects need to be atoned for and anointed especially in this context. Verse 10. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. See? The altar, even the altar needs to be consecrated. The altar shall be most holy and you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments of, on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations." Don't forget the word anointing here in the in the Hebrew is synonymous with the word Mashiach, okay? The anointed one, Messiah, the Christ. Verse 16. In other words, if you're an Antichrist, if you are an Antichrist, you are anti-Messiah, which means you are anti-anointing. You are against the anointing, so to speak, or you're against at least the anointed one. Exodus chapter 40, verse 16, Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in, it, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. He inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and he set up he set the bread in order upon upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he lit the lamps before the Lord 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the, the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and he put water, water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with, with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work, the cloud and the glory. This is very, very, let me just stop here for just a second. This is very much like, I should say, the temple of Solomon when it was built. It was very much like this, right? The temple was built, and then when they had it all finished and when they consecrated it to the Lord, the cloud and the glory came to the temple. That's exactly what happened here too as well. Let's read it, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Again, this is very, very much like uh, how it happened in the days of King Solomon when he offered, uh, when he consecrated the the temple. Uh, And, uh, you know, he basically, the grand opening, the same kind of thing happened. Let's go over there and, and, and read it. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 11, and and in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14. But let's, let's just read 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 11. And it says, well, let me just say here. Um, okay, so this is this this is the dedication of the temple. The ark was brought into the temple, so the temple was just finished, just finished built being built, and they're just bringing in the last bringing in the piece here to uh, uh, to dedicate the the temple. It says, and it came past when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the glory because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord very much like this and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle meeting because the cloud rested upon it and the glory of the of the Lord filled the tabernacle so how did that work because <laughs> I know I know of a pastor who the same kind of thing happened in Texas. Okay. There's this pastor, okay, um, and he got up in the pulpit 
And all he did was actually, apparently during this service, it was a very powerful service because the presence of God was super, super, super strong in this service. And the pastor that was there actually invited another guest speaker. And the guest speaker, at, during the service, before the guest speaker even went up to speak, the guest speaker turned to the pastor and said, man, the presence of God here is just super, super strong. Like I, Something is just in the air. It's just amazing. So they introduced the guest speaker. The guest speaker went up. This is, apparently this happened in front of thousands or hundreds at least of people. So just make up, you know, it's not something that someone made up. Hundreds of witnesses. The the butt up into the pulpit to preach. And all he said, the first thing he said was, the first thing he did was he read 2 Chronicles 7.14, right? And you know that's a very, very famous passage. He read this. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And when he read that, all of a sudden, boom! I mean, literally, physically, audibly, boom! Apparently, the power of God hit so strong, he was thrown back. The pulpit that he was standing at was a thick uh, plexiglass pulpit, and it was split in two. Everybody in the entire church was out on the floor. Boom! Everybody. For hours. And finally, when they had enough strength move they literally they literally out because the presence and the glory of god was so strong in that church and people who were coming in late could not enter just like this just like moses just like the, the priests in solomon's day they could not enter why because the power of god was so strong in there it, they couldn't stand if they were to go in, they would fall. They, they could not enter. And, and so this was, again, this is something that was, was witnessed by hundreds of people. And it was an amazing, amazing thing that happened. Later on, they took that pulpit that was split to, to, to have it examined. And uh, they said that the scientists that examined it said, like, what in the world? Like, what did you do? this because it would take like literally thousands of pounds of proof what happened here to do what would happen you'd have to you'd have to take like it would have to be some kind of heavy machinery to split it the way it was split i don't know it's just just the power of god just the power of god it happened it, this is real folks this is real and this it didn't just happen in the bible god is not just a bible god Okay, he's a God here and now today. He's real. The Bible is real and you can experience him. He's real. Perhaps one of these days I will I will I've 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 personally experienced uh, uh, things that would I don't even know if I can talk about them. 
I have mentioned a couple little things is barely the tip of the iceberg over the past. For those of you who have been with us for months now, you know, doing live streams, I have mentioned a little bit here and a little bit there, but I really haven't got into a lot of what I have personally witnessed and personally experienced. And that's the reason why I'm here today. That's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. 1 John 2.26 on YouTube says, Do you believe that the temple was on the mount or in the city of David below? I believe it was in the city and that the Roman legion was on the mount. Um, well, the mount was a special place, right? The mount was a, was a place where Abraham did his offerings and apparently a lot of the other patriarchs did their they had their basically you know their place of of offering offerings to the lord it's a very 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 special place uh if it wasn't on the mount i'd be super because i mean that's that's the only place that's worthy of of the of the tabernacle um i mean there's no, we don't have any specifics in the scripture. I mean, again, this is just speculation as far as I understand, but um, yeah, like the tabernacle, of course, traveled through Moses and Joshua in the second generation, took it into the promised land. And I, I do believe there's, uh, it had to have, a, at one point in time, it had to have rested at the Mount. And that's why Solomon built the temple on the mountain to make a more, or actually it was, yeah, Solomon, but through David's, David's uh, unction and, and his, uh, his prodding and, you know, his vision um, to build it on the mount. Um, so I do believe, again, uh, I can't see it being in any other place. I really can't. Abril says, I love that part of scripture. If my people shall humble themselves, yes. And it's conditional. If my people shall, then I will come. You know, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. There's so much in that, so much good. It's just such a wonderful passage of scripture. I've heard that quoted so many times in the Christian, like in Christian circles. But even in Jewish circles, they quote this so often too. It's like, you know, they're like, look at see, there's there's no blood shed there. God forgives just because people hum themselves and pray and turn from their sin. That's all that's that's all that's required. Byron says, Wow, I want to experience that. You know what, Byron? I do believe you can, and I do believe uh I I, I feel like saying I do believe you will, but I mean it, it all depends. It you have to be super hungry for God. You really do. I mean, there there are conditions. There are conditions. Uh, you have to be super, super, super hungry for God. God is not cheap, right? He doesn't just. You have to be desperately hungry, hungry for Him. And you know, when you reach that place, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm kind of feel like sharing some some stuff that I've personally experienced. But I mean, some of the stuff that I've experienced, 
I don't even know if I can share it, to be honest with you. All I can tell you is if you're hungry enough, you set aside all your pride. Set it like really, really hungry. You're willing to just throw everything away for God. You're willing to do anything for, for this. Seek his face with all your heart. As I said in many of my other um, videos, as I would traditionally end my recorded videos, if you seek, you know, uh, if you seek God, if you call upon him and you seek his face, he will show you great and mighty things, but he will, he will honor your hunger and your thirst, right? Blessed are those who hunger are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They shall be filled. Yeah. It's, it's an attitude of prayer. It's an attitude of, of des just desperate for God. He'll do it. He, you know, he can do it for sure. Caballero, I absolutely believe your story because I've experienced something similar myself. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you know, if any of you, if any of you have experienced this kind of stuff and you feel free to share it, like I would love to have you guys come on and share it. Uh, um, even if it's just an audio, as you come on as an audio guest and you kind of share with audio, but better yet, I mean, you know, turn the camera on and share share a few minutes of um, what God has done in your life. But yeah, it, it is so incredibly amazing. It's so real. And I, I've never, and this is way, way back in 1992 when I first got I first started experiencing God in such a powerful way. It's like, wow. I thought to myself, I have never, I have never known, I've never heard anybody tell me about this stuff. I mean, you see tracks around, you hear the sinner's prayer, and you hear the, the general road, Romans road to salvation kind of gospel and the general Billy Graham kind of gospel, but you never hear of anything like this where it's like, listen, you can experience God like this. You can experience God. You can see the cloud. It's it's it, it, you can. You can experience the cloud of glory filling your room, filling your house, filling your living room, filling you. You can you can experience the glory of God, life changing, glory of God. I've known many people. I personally know many people who have experienced this. Voice of one, do you believe Christ the Messiah is God or Son of Man, as it says in First Enoch? And when it comes to the, the question of whether or not Messiah is God, it's, it's a, it, a lot of it is just semantics. Okay, So I've said this before. The Messiah is not the Father. Okay? The Father, as in God the Father, he's not the Father. He is a perfect representation of the Father. So you can look at Jesus, you can look at the Messiah, you can look at Christ and say, there's God, or there's the Father. But it's not, it's, it, it's like looking at my, it's like looking at the screen right now and saying, oh, there's Christopher Enoch. 
yes and no. I mean, it's it's splitting hairs. It's semantics, right? You see me on the screen right now, but that's not really me. You know what I mean? It's like you see when you look at Christ, you see God. You say that's God, but it's not really because it's it's an image. As as even Paul says in the in his epistles, he said that Christ is the image of God. Like a picture of God. So you can have a picture, right? Have an old family picture. Oh, there's my grandmother. But is that really your grandmother? I mean, you can split hairs over, right? Is that really your no, it's a piece of paper, you know, with with ink on it or whatever it is. And you know, it's like right now, you're looking at colored pixels on a screen changing colors and all that kind of thing. People can you can say, someone can come up to you and say, What are you watching? Oh, that's Chris Farina. Oh. But is it really? Or is that just pixels on a screen? So, yeah. So Christ is, you can look at a person and say, hey, that guy, that young man, whenever I see that young man, I see his father. When I look at him, I see his father. Somebody can say, you, you see me, you see the father. Not that he is the father. Not that he is God, the father. But rather that he is so much of a representation of him. It's like, it's like you see him. Uh, the whole idea of son of man, the son of man uh, is a messianic term from the book of Enoch actually has its roots in the Torah in, in Genesis when, um, when God promised Adam and Eve, you know, your seed shall crush the serpent's head. So the Son of Man is sim literally in the Hebrew would be Ben Adam, the Son of Adam, the the Messiah. So the words the Son of Man is I mean the Son of Man and the Son of God can be the same person, not a different not a different person. Uh, so you look at Jesus and you can say that's the Son of Man. That's Ben Adam. In other words, that's that is the promised seed of Adam. Right, so I don't think it's a, it's it's an either or. I think it can be an and. Very good question, voice of one. Um, thank you very much. Jeff says I missed that story, but I will get it later. Love to hear your stories. Thank you and shalom, shalom, Jeff. Peace multiplied to you, brother. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I like. I keep on asking. I would like to. I would like to have because a lot of people are. I know a lot of people are shy to come on as a guest on live stream. Um, but hey, I mean, you want you got something you want to share, um, or even you know, even if it's a an email that you send that I can read. Uh, like I, I had there someone there the other day that sent me an email. Um, and I read some of it. So it's good to get out the works, uh, get out your testimony, get out, uh, let people know what God is doing or has done in your life. You know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a very good thing. Okay, so let's continue here with Exodus chapter 40. Again, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Again, this happened 
to a church not so long ago. It was in the 90s, actually, in the 90s. Not so long ago, it happened to a church. And I do believe that it ha- it has happened, probably has happened in different places, various places since then. You know, it, it's, it should be a common occur- occurrence, actually. That kind of thing should be a common occurrence. Even people's homes. I used to have a prayer meeting in in my home. Um, haven't really had the prayer meeting for for quite some time. Well, it's a number of several years now. But I used to have a prayer meeting where people come, and I'm telling you, people. I mean, we just <laughs> again. I don't want. I don't know how. Much, let me just say this: you can experience God. You can really, really experience God, even right there where you are. But you know you got to give him your un, your undivided attention. You've got to get out from the you've got to get out from the distractions. You've got to you've got to focus on the Lord. You know I just feel like even now from some of you that are watching, whatever platform you're watching on right now, let me just pray for you guys before we move on. We'll move on with the rest of this chapter, but be, just before we do, let me just pray for you guys, Father. You are so holy. You are so good. You are so wonderful, glorious. I know, Father, you are not just the God of the Bible, but God of today. You are the God that's in our lives today, not just the God that's in the scriptures. So, Father, I ask you that you would seek out those who are watching those who are hungry for you, those who are serious about you. Father, we just take a few moments. We just, we invite you, Father. We invite you. I invite you, Father. I invite you. I ask you, welcome you. I give you permission to touch, to fill the lives of those who are watching. If you, Father, if you would, let the cloud of glory, 